0: morning everyone. A month ago, on fireworks night, precious on myself, we went to the King Arthur Hotel, who were doing a um, fireworks display. Normally go down to St. Helens, but that was put off a week because of the tide times. We were down, and you know when you go into a local fireworks display, like they're often, you know... They're nice and they, but they're not great, are they? Just, you know, for now there. So, you know, I didn't have high expectations, but it was really good. It was really good. The fireworks done, they were amazing. They went on for ages. It wasn't quite an Adam Day display. The fireworks went shooting at us. But it was really exciting. But what was funny about it as well is this happened twice as well. So, the, you know how the fireworks, like they build up with the music, and then there was what seemed to be like this big finale and all the big ones, and then it like stopped, and everyone clapped and cheered, thinking it was the end. And then suddenly after a few moments they all started up again. And we were like, oh, there's more. And then we watched it again. And then it happened again. It all kind of seemed to come to an end. And we all clapped and thought, oh, that was that was really good. And we were just about to turn and then suddenly it's like you could see the men with the torches. So they all started up again. And there was like three finales. I was like, this is never ending. But it was really good. Now anyway, today we're carrying on with our Christmas series. And today we're looking at a part of the story where you think you've reached the end of the story and then suddenly there's like, oh no, hold on, there's another bit and another bit. And it's a bit that kind of get often gets missed off um, you know, the, when the Christmas story is told. So hopefully we'll get all the way to the end of that today. It's also a part of the story that's full of surprises. And it's things that we might not always pick up on, but it's full of surprises. It's a part of the story that challenges expectations and because of that, it invites a response from us as well. So we'll pick it up today and go through it together. So we pick up the story after Jesus has been born. And Adam shared last week where the shepherds come in and them uh, finding Jesus and the message from the angels. So God's promise that, his, that he is sending a savior, that he is coming into the world, God himself, so we can have our relationship with him restored has taken place and Jesus has been born and this now is probably a year or two later, and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they've settled in Bethlehem, and they've stayed there. And in Matthew 2, we read this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And so these are the main characters in this bit of the account here. We've obviously got Jesus, King Herod, we'll come back to him later, and the Magi, also known as royal astrologers or also known as wise men or even sometimes as the kings and in the famous christmas carol how many kings are there we what is it we three kings that's right we three kings of orient are etc cetera, etc cetera. one in a taxi one in a car or camels um but of course, there wasn't actually, um, well, it doesn't say that there was three kings or three wise men. Um, we get you know that number because they brought three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, and that's why often people you know, depict it as three kings, and it's probably also more manageable for your nativity scene. But in real life, you know, a group like this where you have, these would have been members of the royal court in where they were coming from, and so they were wise men they were advisors and sometimes they would act as ambassadors and when ambassadors would travel to a, another nation maybe if a new king has come into power or you know to fight to negotiate a treaty or peace or something a whole stack of them Would usually go together. There'd be a whole entourage, camels, donkeys, servants, supplies for the long journey. So it'd be quite the scene. So I went to. I imagine it more as Prince Ali arriving in Agrabah. That you know, may might not have been as extravagant because Will Smith wasn't there. But you know, it was much more of a big scene than just three blokes passing through on their way to somewhere else. And when they arrived in Jerusalem. This would have really caught people's attention, people would have noticed, people would have seen, it gathered, it got people's attention, and it caused quite a stir as well. Because these wise men who were traveling from the east, they, um, you know, these magi or astrologers, they probably came from Persia or uh, Babylon, and that was a part of the Parthian Empire. And at that time, politically, Jerusalem and Judea, King Herod were all under Roman rule. Whereas the region that the wise men were from was an independent empire in opposition to Rome. So we got these two, you know, opposing empires here and ambassadors from one effectively are coming into the other. So this would cause quite a bit of a stir and people would notice. And also, okay, I want you to imagine, imagine if you were a Jew in, you know, the first century and you're hearing about Jesus for the very first time or you've just become a follower of Jesus and someone is telling you the story of how Jesus came into the world and you're hearing it for the first time. And you hear about, you hear the line that the Magi from the East, you know, traveled to Jerusalem. Now, when is the last time that you have come across Wise men from Babylon or Persia. When's the last time that you've heard about this? Shout it out for me if anyone knows. When's the last time you might have heard about wise men from Babylon or Persia? Anyone want to shout it out for me? About five weeks ago, that's right, in the book of Daniel, in the Daniel series. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at this, how Daniel was exiled into Babylon? And Babylon was a, you know, kind of a, a place that, you know, really... Was in opposite, living in opposition to God, if you like. And do you remember how, with uh, in Daniel in the lions' den, how it was the wise men that served under King Darius that plotted and schemed to get Daniel killed and you know thrown into the lions' den? So you're hearing this for the first time. You hear the line about the wise men from the east, immediately are thinking, these are the bad guys. Your baddie radar is going off. It's like, you know, if you watch an old Baldwin film or something, and there's a character with a Russian accent or something like that, you know, it's, it's bad, isn't it? But immediately you think, oh, they're probably the baddie. That's just how they were, okay, in those films. So your baddie radar is going off. But then something surprising happens, and you read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his start when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So that takes you by surprise. You were not expecting that. Now, have you ever been in a situation and you've put your foot in it? You said something innocently, or you've asked a question, and it's like the one topic you shouldn't have mentioned, or you shouldn't have asked, and you had no, you know, you had no idea, and you just like kind of feel the silence in the room. You're like, oh, what have I done? Well, the wise men, okay, they're wise men, but they do that here, because Herod is a paranoid and violent man, and he had politically worked his way up to become the king of the Jews uh, by, you know, working his way up and scheming with the Roman rulers, if you like. And he had some Jewish heritage, but he didn't have any royal line or birthright or claim to the throne in that kind of way. He was there because of the Romans and because he was convenient for them. And so he wasn't very popular with the people. He, you know, he was charging loads of taxes to build these um, um, amazing buildings, some of which are still standing, but his legitimacy as a king was really shaky. And so he spent his life obsessively killing off anyone that he thought was any kind of threat to him being the king, including members of his own family. So, Herod was a nasty piece of work. And now the wise men have come in and they've said this Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Who's been not just, where's the king? Where's the who's been born king of the Jews? It's like, if you could have said one thing to Herod, that would get hit. Like, this is the last thing he would ever want to say. I can imagine the advisor standing there, like, shush, like, no more, no more. Oh, my word. So, next it says this. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. It was like understatement of the year. As was everyone in Jerusalem, because, you know, politi- politically, you know, they, the last thing they want is the Romans coming in with you know, more force, more power, etc. So they're worried. Herod, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, "Where is the Messiah meant to be born? Where is he supposed to be born?" And so the religious leaders come in. And they say this, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, this is from the Old Testament. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod, hearing this, he called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Trouble. Trouble is at hand. Now, interesting here, Herod, he goes to consult with the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And this is like another character in this part of the account. Now, these were people who knew God's promises. They were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Savior to come. You know, they, they knew this offhand and they shared that information. And they hear the news from the wise men, what the wise men have said and why the wise men have traveled so far and what they have come from, come for. And they tell them, you know, it's Bethlehem. Um, Bethlehem is where you'll find, you know, find him. That's what the prophets have said. And Bethlehem is just six miles down the road, six miles away. It's a two-hour walk, if you like, Maybe 1.45 if the traffic's all right. Now, what would you do if you were them and you know God's promises? You're expecting a savior to be born, you're expecting God to do something, and you hear that two hours down the road, a six mile walk, you know, that's like walking from here to um, Singleton, that it, may, that it may be taking place just down there. Like, what would you do? What would, what would you do if that was you? What would you You'd want to go. Yeah. So what do they do? Well, they don't do anything. They stay put. And instead, it's the wise men alone who carry on their journey. And it says this. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went, oh, yeah, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the wise men and all their entourage, they descend on this little town or small town of Bethlehem. They expected to find what they were looking for, and the answer, in Herod's palace. But instead, they're redirected to just a small home. A small home in a small town where a poor family are living in this small village. It's not what they were expecting when they set off all those miles before. And just imagine the scene. Imagine like like a typical small street here, you know where some of the streets, like, especially around this area here, where you can see they were designed before cars, you know, and it's like, if one's coming one way, one's coming the other way, one of you's going to have to back up. Imagine this, like, entourage descending on, like, a, a little street. What the neighbors would be thinking, what the heck is going on here? Do you know what I mean? Because you see it. And, but I love it how it says, you know, they turn up in this tiny little place, but it says, when they came to the place, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house a tiny probably small house, they entered the house and they bowed down in worship and they gave royal gifts, just imagine that, the kind of contrast and I love the response of the wise men and it's such a surprise, it's such a surprise, powerful people from a rival nation with a history of animosity, It's a wasp, crazy, unbelievable, you thought, they, these were the enemies, and they are the ones to find Jesus. And it's them who worship him and honor him, and they are filled with joy. And the first thing this communicates right at the start of Jesus' life is the welcome of Jesus and the reach of Jesus is for everyone. His welcome defies expectations, and it shows for us in our lives never to write someone off, from Jesus being able to reach into their lives and meet them with his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his purpose, and the wonderful things. And for them discovering Jesus for themselves. Let's never hold back from sharing our faith because we think, oh, they won't be interested. Or let's never do that. Because Jesus reaches out in amazing ways. We've been doing youth alpha with um, the youth uh, this term with Beth and Fion and the team, uh, Isaac and Naomi and... uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Nicky Gumball, who, who you know heads up Alpha, he was sharing his own story, and he says, you know, when he was a young man, he was studying law at Cambridge, and he comes from this like family of lawyers. His dad was a liar. his mum was a lawyer, their grandparents were lawyers, his sister was a liar, etc. Et and he goes, and he was studying law in Cambridge, and he says how he was an atheist, and he was quite a staunch and atheist. And then two of his best friends at university, they became Christians. And he said when they came to tell him, he thought, oh no, (laughs) like I need to help them. And so he thought, okay, I'm going to investigate it myself so I can, you know, convince them that it's not true. And he began to read the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible for himself. And as he explored them for himself, and as he read it for himself, and as he investigated it himself, he came to the conclusion that this is actually real. And he discovered the reality of Jesus for himself. And he shares his story in Alpha, and it's amazing. Or there's a brilliant book by a guy called Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel was the lead investigator, uh, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, a massive newspaper, and he was in charge of researching criminal cases and investigating them. And um, one day his wife got invited to church by a friend, and she became a follower of Jesus, and he was an atheist, and he says he used to argue with her and try and convince her that she was wrong, and he really didn't like it. And so he decided with his newspaper to do a historical investigation like he would do with criminal cases, but apply that to the life of Jesus, hoping and with a desire to prove that Christianity was wrong, you know, had no leg to stand on, and he could convince his wife that she'd made a mistake. And in doing so, and in researching, and in investigating, he discovered that the evidence pointed the other way, and he concluded, after his research, that Jesus was a real man who lived 2,000 years ago, who was killed on a cross, and who came back to life, because he was God coming to heaven, coming to earth from heaven, so that we could have relationship with him, and that Jesus is alive today, and his welcome is for each and every one of us. And... He brings to us the gift of grace, forgiveness, and eternal life when we put our trust in him. And he turned his investigation into a book called The Case for Christ, and it's really, really good. And if there's anyone here today, and maybe you're in this kind of place where you're investigating it for yourself. That's a brilliant place to be, to look into it for yourself. And if you've got those questions, and if you're researching, and if you're looking into it in that kind of way, then I've actually got a copy of his book with me and I got like a small Christmas version as well and you're welcome to find me in the car park and take it home with you if you would read it and make use of it and if you'd find that helpful because it's a brilliant thing to do. So you're very welcome to it if you catch me at the end. So the wise men like Lee Strobel and Nicky Gumbel, they sought after Jesus. They were investigating. They were seeking. They were looking. They traveled. They journeyed and they found. And for us, at this time of year, when we celebrate Christmas, just as we had with our amazing kid spot, we think about the amazing things that Jesus has done for us and why he came into the world that God himself sought after us. In one John, Jesus, one of Jesus' friends and disciples, he said this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so we remember all that Jesus has done for us. But what I love about this part of the Christmas story is we see how the wise men, in turn, they pursued after Jesus. They pursued him. And we don't know how much they knew or what they were expecting when they set off. Maybe they were familiar with some of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Maybe they knew that God was sending a, a saviour and a messiah. They, they seemed to have known that Jesus was the messiah. So they must have had some idea. They knew that Jesus was important. But whatever they did or didn't know at that moment, they travelled, they searched, they brought gifts, they dedicated themselves and they sought after Jesus. And when they arrived, on the surface they just found a poor family in a poor village. There would be no there was no palace, there was no earthly reward or political favor to be granted back. You know, if an ambassador went from one country to the other, they might want to win favor with that other nation. But coming here, there was none of that coming back. They, but they, it didn't matter because they had come for Jesus and they came to worship him for who he is because he is worthy. And in that place, they were filled with joy joy. And I think that's amazing when you think the religious leaders who would have known much more, they didn't even bother to travel the six miles down the road. And so for us in our lives, let's be a people who pursue Jesus. We don't have to travel. We don't have to cross mountains and oceans. Jesus is with us. In Ephesians it says, "...then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him." Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus hears us. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So let's bring him the worship of our heart. Let's invest and delight in our relationship with Jesus. Let's not be like the religious leaders who had Jesus and these amazing promises right on their doorstep, but they were too busy with life over here to even pop down the road. For us, let's not let the busyness of life take over, but let's be encouraged to enjoy our friendship with Jesus and the joy to be found in his presence. Let's continue to find time and to make time to meet with Jesus to spend time with him, to hear from his word, to rest in the Holy Spirit, to bring our needs to him, and to ask him to empower us by his Holy Spirit, to lead us in the purposes that he has for our life and the direction he has, and the things he has called us to do to make a difference with our friendship group, in our workplace, at university, in school, wherever we are, God knows where we are, and he has a purpose for us there. Let's allow him to lead us in that purpose. And if at the moment, if you feel, do you know what, I really need to reconnect with Jesus, you know, sometimes where maybe you've got a really good friend and you just haven't seen them for a while, you know, you know, we need to catch up. We need to have a proper catch-up, and we need to make time. I want to encourage you, if you feel like, you know, I really need to reconnect with Jesus as a friend, then do that this Christmas. Do that in this season. Let me encourage you over this Christmas month to read through one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Maybe start with Matthew, we've been looking at it here, or with Luke, which includes the Christmas story, and say, do you know what, over Christmas hour, over December, I'm going to reconnect with Jesus, I'm going to read one of the accounts of his life, and as you do, and as we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, Jesus, I want to meet with you, I want to meet with you, I want to know you more, I want to connect with you, you will find that it will come alive to you, and you will reconnect with the person of Jesus because he is close to every one of us. In James it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And Jesus said, ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. And that's what Jesus has for us as we meet with him as a friend, and because he is worthy, like the wise men did. So finally, the wise men, they return home, and it says this, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so you think, phew, danger over. And you think that's the end of the story. And many a nativity ends there, but not yet. It says this next. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. And so God warns Joseph in a dream that they're in danger. And Joseph, I love it, it says, That night, that very night, he didn't wait. He didn't, oh, you know, what should we do? Or maybe in the morning. That night, he got up and he left. Straight away, without hesitation. I love that. They heard from God, and he put it into practice straight away. And Sarah did a talk on Joseph two weeks ago, and it's a really great talk. And this is just classic Joseph. So if you missed it, you can catch it up on YouTube and online. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men report of the star's first appearance. And so Herod does this terrible thing, and his response to the arrival of Jesus is brutal, senseless slaughter. is evil and it's wrong. And it shows the very thing that Jesus has come into this world to rescue the world from, that we live in a broken world. And it needs a rescue. And there are Herods throughout history, and our world needs a rescue. And that's what Jesus is doing. And we are part of that as well. We have a part to play. So, two things about this close escape that Jesus has, just to bring us to an end. The first one is this I think about Mary and Joseph and how their lives have been turned upside down with Jesus. I mean, he's only like two by now, and, you know, it's all, I mean, I guess every parent's life's turned upside down by a child, I've heard, but this is next level. I mean, you know, even before Jesus was born, you know, with the angels and the virgin birth and Joseph and the, oh, crazy, and now it suddenly gets so much worse, so much worse, and they have to flee and escape to a foreign country. And I think, how must have they felt? You know, they knew that they'd said yes to God and his promise, and they were looking after Jesus and his purpose. They knew they were, you know, doing the right thing. And now, suddenly, they've got to run away. What must they have thought? What questions must they have had? And then later on, it says this. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And so Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. And so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled But the prophet said, He will be called a Nazarene. And so Joseph and Mary, they end up back in Nazareth. So we see that they had a a turbulent first few years with Jesus. And we see how they kept arriving in new places and having to start over again. Could you imagine arriving into Egypt, probably with nothing, or maybe the gifts the wise men have brought that funded that escape? And they arrive and they gotta Joseph's gotta find work and somewhere to live and make friends and build relationship and get to know people. And then when it's safe, they gotta go back and they gotta go back. And you know, they arrive and then oh and it's not safe here, and then so then they end up in Nazareth, and again Joseph's gotta find work and they gotta find a house and they gotta make friends and they gotta build relationships and they gotta start over again, again and again. But throughout we see how God was with them how he protected them. And I want to encourage anyone here or anyone watching online, if you're going through a turbulent season or you find that you've hit a time in your life when it feels like you're having to start over again, maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've had to move, all sorts of things, you have to start again. I want to encourage you that God knows where you are, that he hasn't forgotten you and that he's amazing at coming alongside us and walking us through these seasons. And he is with you, and he knows where you are. And he can bring goodness and life out of any situation that we find ourselves in, just like he did with Mary and Joseph. And he has not abandoned you. But as you search for him, as you come drawn near to him, he will draw close to you, and he will help you through it. And in Romans 8, it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And with that, when we're in those places, we can know that Jesus understands what it's like to be in that place. Jesus knows what that's like. He grew up in it himself. His first childhood years he spent as a refugee. And that's the final thing today is that Jesus was a refugee. He was forced to flee with his parents from one country to another. He was a refugee. And when you think of that, of all that God was willing to go through just to be with us, just so we could know him, that we could know and experience his love. He went through that for us. It's amazing. And today there's many refugee crises around the world, on our doorstep. And as we seek to pursue Jesus like the wise men did, let's remember that Jesus' heart is always towards those in need. It's always towards the poor. It's always to those in need. And let's pursue the heart of Jesus in our response when we come across the different challenges in our world, in our community, and other places as well. And there's amazing charities and things we can support which can work beyond where our reach is. And it's amazing that we continue to love and support the needs on our doorstep as well. So well done, everyone. Let's continue to support the needs right here where we are as well, because that is the heart of Jesus. And so let me finish with this from Matthew 25, something Jesus taught years later. It's not on the screen, so you can just listen. Jesus said this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you do, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you will do for me Should we pray together Jesus we thank you for your amazing love and reach and all that you are willing to embrace and endure and go through on our behalf and to reach into our lives with your love and we thank you that you extend that reach through us into our world And I pray now, Holy Spirit, would you empower us as your people along with all other churches in our city and our nation and beyond. Help us to, to pursue you and help us to extend the reach of your love in word and in deed to our friends, our neighbors, and our city because you love people. And I thank you that you love us. Help us to know your love. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great, thank you. Thank you, Sean.